don't know Pat Burrell from the Philadelphia Phillies. Two-time world champion, 2008 with us. And then he won another one, one of the ones with the Giants. He was a Bay Area guy. So Pat... When you, when you say with us, yeah. when you were Phillies. a scout. When I was a scout. With scout Phillies, with Phillies, yeah. So Pat Burrell is a legend. Pat is uh, Pat the Bat is his nickname at Philly. Um, he is one of the most beloved Phillies of all time. And um, again, I, I only tell you this story because it, it came to mind because we were talking about Aaron. And when I when I met Aaron, we were kids. So I wasn't going to make it as a player. And I got a part-time job with the Blue Jays as a scout. And, and they're going to teach me how to scout. And then I was going to do a little coaching for him too, like in the minor leagues, what have you. So... One of my first scouting assignments was to go to a 15 and under winter baseball tournament in San Diego. And the scout that was kind of my mentor, got greatest guy in the world named John Cole. What a terrific guy. John Cole was a, a longtime Blue Jay scout, signed players like Sean Green, uh, Jeff Kent, people like oh that. Oh my okay? God, Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent, yeah. yeah. John signed him. John signed about four or five big leaguers with the Blue Jays in their heyday when they were winning a couple World Series. So, you know, terrific and just a great human being. And John said, he ran Southern California, and he, that was his area, and he said, I want you to go down and see this tournament, San Diego, 15 and under tournaments. I want you to start just seeing players, write some reports, you know, that type of thing. So I said, yeah. So I went down to some Pony League field or what have you in San Diego, and... I, I used Copenhagen for God knows 20 years. And, you know, I dip in as a young former player would do, and I'm standing down the line. And this kid starts walking towards me in his uniform. And all of 14 years old, or whatever he was at the time. And, uh, but he was kind of a big kid. And I remember, I remember thinking, God, this kid's bigger than the other kids. And he walked down, and without, I mean, any hesitation at all, he said, can I bum a dip off you? And I was like, how old are you? And he goes, well, I'm in the tournament, like four, whatever he said, 14, 15, whatever it was. And I said, does your dad know you did? And he goes, yeah, he's right over there. He wants one too. <laughs> and I go, you got to be shitting me, right? I'm thinking. So I looked over and his dad kind of laughed. So I walked over. I said, let me meet your dad. So we walk over there. We start laughing. I said, this kid dips? He goes, oh, yeah, it's my fault. He goes, we love the sticks outside San Jose. He goes, there ain't much to do out there. He goes, I'll let the kid dip once in a while. I said, oh, good for you. So we, we had a laugh, and I meet him. And it, so it's Pat and his dad, greatest guys. And he starts telling me how he's going to go to a school, a private school called Bellarmine Prep in San Jose. Well, I didn't really know Northern California at the time. I was a Southern California guy. So I think, okay, well, he's going to go to high school next year at Bellarmine Prep. So I tell him I'm a part-time scout with the Blue Jays. I'm just learning how to do this. And my mentor, my, my, you know, the guy that's training me, sent me down here to write, you know, see some players, write some reports. And uh, I said, you know what, I'll use your son. I said, I'll write a report on him and give it to John and he can critique it or whatever. And he goes, yeah, great. So really nice people. The kid ends up, I mean, you don't have to be a, I was a first year scout. Yeah, you don't have, you don't have to be a scout to figure out this guy was a stud. So I went back to John. And I said, hey, there's this kid in Northern California named Pat. And I said, and his dad and him are baseball junkies. And I said, you know, could we bring him on our scout league team? And, and in the wintertime, in the fall, 
you put the best high school players in Southern California on what's called scout league teams. And the Blue Jays had one. and Not everybody had one at the time. Now everybody does. But at the time, there was maybe eight or ten major league teams that sponsored these teams. And the scouts, the area scouts, would, would run them on the weekends. And John said, well, he said, you know, you're coaching the scout league team now. And he said, if you want to talk to his dad and see if he can come down on the weekends and we'll put him on the team. Because they didn't have one up where he lived. So I said, cool. Well, this, this kind of goes to the same thing we were talking about earlier. Guys that make it, young players that I've seen that have really made it, they have something in common that's not talked about much. They have something that when they were kids, 13, 14, 15 years old, they did, they went above and beyond and they were so dedicated to the game and they were so dedicated to opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities. I think that gets overlooked. We always talk about, well, when he was in A-ball and then he went to Puerto Rico and played winter ball. You know, I hear Eduardo Perez talk about this all the time. And I'm, you know, I'm not a, sorry, Eduardo, if you're listening. I'm not a huge fan of you on the TV. But guys like, can I say that? <laughs> Eduardo Perez will tell you that he managed, I, we'll pick a name. He managed Lindor, and I'm making this up, but the kid, the shortstop for Cleveland uh-huh. in Puerto Rico when he was 22. That's not what I'm talking about. Eduardo Perez... You didn't make his career in Puerto Rico in, by managing for six weeks in the winter. That's not why he's a big leaguer, okay? Trust me. But when I see kids like Pat Burrow or Aaron Boone or these guys, that when they were 14, 15 years old, and they were field rats, and they were in the cage on the weekends, and no coach ever had to tell them to take extra batting practice, and more importantly, extra ground balls, or extra defensive stuff. Or, I'll make it one better. Pat Burrell's dad, when he was 15 years old, Pat would get out of school on Friday. His dad would take him to San Jose Airport, fly him from San Jose to Burbank. Wow. I would pick him up, and he would play scout league for us that weekend in Southern California, and then I'd put him on a plane and go back and go to school the next day in Northern California. That's why Pat Burrell was an all-star, was, is a world champion, played 15 years in the big leagues, is well-respected, is a stud. I can trace it all the way back to 15. I don't need to know about him playing in Puerto Rico for four and a half weeks <laughs> while he's on the cusp of being a big leaguer, right, at 22. I'm tired of that whole deal. But, nothing. by the way, nothing against Eduardo. He's probably a terrific guy and all that. But, but I just, I hear a lot of guys say, well, he played for me in Venezuela. Or he, yeah, I get it. He's already studded that. He's already a guy. They're just down there getting ready for the next season. I'm talking about when guys are are, are creating their base. I call yeah. it their base. You can't play Major League Baseball without having a strong fundamental base and a love of baseball base and that passion. And that's built at a super young age. That's built... I'll tell you this. My high school coach... One of the I respect this guy so much as a human being. He is a terrific human being. He helps so many kids. But he didn't know fundamentals of baseball. When I went to college to play baseball, I didn't have a fundamental base. I had natural talent. Well, natural talent's great. But if you don't have a fundamental base, you're going to get passed up by these guys that have more of a fundamental base. And they also have 
natural talent. So what I would try to do when I was scouting or coaching is say, look, you're a talented guy, but you don't have a fundamental base. That fundamental base, what it does is, it helps you get out of slumps. Mm -hmm. It helps you when you're not feeling too good. You're playing shortstop and you're, you're, you can feel every pebble under your feet and, and your glove feels funny on your hand. You're like, don't hit it to me tonight. <laughs> Fundamental bases help you through offensive struggles, defensive struggles, because it gives you something to rely on, something that will strengthen your game. If you're just out there winging it on natural talent, your holes will be immense. You will be, it'll be like a bright light to shine on any weakness you have. And sometimes it's hard to get out of slumps and things. So I trace that back to guys like Pat Burrell, who this guy is probably, and, and I'm not doing a disservice to other people I've known in my life, Pat Burrell is the biggest baseball rat, junkie, whatever you want to call it, of any player I've ever been around. Wow. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, what really impressed me with Patrick he was going to be a draft pick. So we had him on our scout league team, 15, 16 years old. He'd come down and play. Great. Then he went to Bellarmine Prep. Well, here's what I found out about Bellarmine Prep. I didn't know the Burles lived an hour drive from Bellarmine Prep in San Jose. Really? So now it all made sense. Patrick couldn't go to Bellarmine Prep until he was a sophomore. I never understood that. Then it made sense. He needed a driver's license because his dad had to work. He couldn't mm -hmm. drive in there every day. Pat started going to Bellarmine Prep as a sophomore because he could drive himself to school. Pat Burrow drove one hour each way to school for three years so he could go to a good baseball high school with good academics in San Jose. That's crazy. And now that you're mentioning all this stuff, I have such an appreciation for him. But I remember watching him and it's like, oh, fuck, Pat Burrell. <laughs> it's like you knew something was going to happen. Pat the bat. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I used to hate, I used to hate when he used to come up to bat against the Yankees. Yeah. Or anybody that I was rooting for. You yeah. know, it was, it, the 2009 World Series. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Yeah. And it, I just hated him for no reason. Right. Only because I knew he was That's a game changer. Right. And now hearing all that stuff and the work that he put into it uh, makes me have such an appreciation and affinity for his work. Yeah, this is a, this is a six foot four... 220-pound Adonis, Adonis, who has all this natural ability, but I'm telling you, that's not why he was a great big leaguer. That's not why he had a 15-year tremendous career and won two World Series. It's all because of his love and his, and his work ethic for the game. He works so hard. Think of this. I, I barely wanted to, to hitch a ride 10 minutes to my high school or take a bus when I was... This guy was driving himself an hour each way each day to go to high school, not to mention on the weekends. Yeah. And this is what... So now he passes up the draft. He gets drafted, I think, in about the eighth round out of high school by Boston, I believe. He passes it up. He goes to the University of Miami. He played in, in quite possibly the most famous college World Series game of all time. He played in the final game against LSU. He went to Miami. They played LSU in the final game of the World Series. They had the lead. The game was over. Warren Morris hits this walk-off home run for LSU, which to this day at old Johnny Rosenblatt Stadium in Omaha is the most famous college World Series home run of all time. And there's a famous shot as Warren Morris is rounding the bases with the LSU victory. They, poor Miami, they stole defeat out of the jaws of victory that day. There's a picture of Pat. He was playing third base. 
He was an outfielder in the big leagues, which is part of the story. But in college, he got to play some third base. There's a picture of Pat laying face down in the grass in front of third base, just not believing what just happened, that this guy Morris hit this game winner and, and now Miami loses the World Series. So the next year, next fall, the head coach of Miami, Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Morris, he says to Pat, he says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play at third base anymore. I just think you're not at that level defensively, and, and I think I'm going to put you in the outfield. Well, Pat did not want to play the outfield at Miami, University of Miami. He wanted to play third base. This, to me, this Pat Burrell story, to me, says everything about this guy. And, and it's all you really need to know about him. He calls me. And he says, I'm coming home for Christmas. Can you come up to, to Bellarmine? Can we work out for a couple of days? And I said, of course. He'd already been, he won the Golden Spikes Award in college. The number one college player in the country. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, and he's already a guy. He's going to be a first-round pick, right? He's a stud. He's Pat Burrell. At this point, it's already been figured out. He's Pat Burrell. He can hit the shit out of the ball, right? He is a hitter. So... He calls and he says, well, you come, and I said, so in my mind, and now I'm scouting at the time, I think at the time I was scouting for the Yankees. And I thought he just wants to hit. So I'm kind of, you know, getting my arm kind of ready to go, and I know I'm going to go up there and throw BP for a couple days, whatever. And I go up there, I fly in, we go over to the ballpark, the Bellarmine Prep, and you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to work on defense. It's all he wanted to work in. I don't know that we barely hit. I think we took a couple rounds of BP. We worked for hours at third base on defense. We'd walk across the street. There's a little restaurant across the street, a Mexican place. You'd get something to eat. We'd walk back. He'd have more players come that he went to high school with. They'd, you know, they'd help us out with the workout. He wanted me to help him because my, my specialty was always working with defensive players, infield play. He wanted to go back to Miami and prove to that coach that he could play third base. That's all that was on his mind. You're talking about a guy who was the best college player in the country, and he wanted to work on defense for two days before he went back to school. That, when I got on the plane and went home, I said, that guy's a stud, man. That's what it takes. Somebody told him he can't do something. Now, granted, in the big leagues, we did play him in left field. When I got to Philadelphia, he was already there. When I went to work for the Phillies, he was there. They, they had uh, uh, Machado, a guy named Machado signed him out of the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. And he got to the big leagues. And he was I think he was either there or AAA when I got to Philadelphia. But we reunited there. And we and, and, and it was a it's a great story that we sat on his balcony. He bought he made a lot of money in Philadelphia. He bought a in Tampa by our spring training site down in Clearwater. He bought a penthouse overlooking the harbor there at a big building. And uh, let me put it this way: the elevator at the building opened up right into his living room. That's, <laughs> that's how he was rolling. So, so Patrick did well. But we were sitting on the balcony having a beer one night. I was down there at our spring training site in the off season doing some stuff. And he goes, "Can you believe after all these years?" He said, "We're sitting here on this balcony, and we're both with the Phillies, and all we want to do is win a World Series." And I said, yeah. What year was this? Oh, that would have been 2002, 2003. Okay. And I said, we will. And we weren't very good at the time. Yeah. But we brought in a whole new scouting staff. We had a great scouting director. We had great coaches. I said, we will, Patrick. We're, we're on the way to do that. 
and I remember sitting there. It was a beautiful night in Clearwater, Tampa, where that breeze is blowing. He's got this great penthouse. We're sitting there looking at the boats, the harbor, whatever, having a beer. And, and you know, who knew that five years later we would win the World Series in 2008. But, but to, to go through all that history um, and, and then to see that. And, and then it's fantastic because Pat would do things... I, I was very I'm, I was very good friends with a guy who played third base in the big leagues for a long time named Doug DeSensei, and he played for the Baltimore Orioles and the Angels, and he was living in Orange County in California, and just he was in private business then, but his son was at UCLA, and Doug was an all-star third baseman with the Angels, retired, and Pat said, "You know Doug DeSensei," and I said, "Yeah," he'd say, "Can can, can we work with him one day?" I'd be like, "Absolutely." I mean, and, and this kid would come down. He was so thirsty to 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 work with people that he thought could help him, even though he was his stud, man. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, he'd he'd have played in the big leagues without anybody's help. Really, I hate to say that, but he would have. He's so talented, but he was a great big leaguer, and he probably got there sooner because he was always thirsty for knowledge, thirsty for help, thirsty for tutoring. He wanted people that could coach him and help him. And he was he was willing to reach out for that, and and put the time in. Of course, I mean that goes without saying with him. But but th- those two guys, I, I kind of think of them in the same light, Aaron Boone and Pat Burrell, because I because I was fortunate to see them grow up from thirteen fourteen years old, whatever that age was, to all the way through their big league careers, and now Aaron managing the big leagues, and and Patrick is now a special. Uh, advisor to the general manager to the president actually of the San Francisco Giants where he won a World Series um, but I, I just think those guys I think uh, young players could really learn from hearing things like that because it's not all about natural ability it's not all about they always say the right timing the right this yeah I guess some, a lot of that goes into it but I can tell you from experience you have to be a baseball rat. You have to be a field rat. You have to want to work at it. Extra batting practice, extra ground balls. Reach out to people that can help you. Reach out. Don't be. Don't think you're so good that you don't need to take advice and coaching from other people that maybe could help you. If you if 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 you spend eight hours with somebody, and one little thing they say helps you a tiny bit, that's a great day. Absolutely, yeah. That's a great day. I agree. And and I think that gets overlooked. And, and I'll tell you, the base, the fundamental base gets overlooked. And I wish more people would think about that. It's not when a guy's 20 years old, I get it. Yeah, you can help that kid. You can help that guy in A-ball. You can help that guy in double-A. You can help that guy, Eduardo Perez, when you're managing him in Puerto Rico. I get it, right? But where you really can help somebody you can help them build a fundamental base when they're a teenager because that's going to give them a base to get through slumps and get through tough times. And I've watched that with so many successful major leaguers. Like who? Uh, almost everyone I've ever seen have success. That, 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 that only the ones I knew when they, were, when they were younger, when I saw them in high school. You know, if I, if I saw a guy in high school and he was, um, you know... He didn't have fundamentals. He was just winging it. A lot of times that guy would get drafted. He'd sign. And then he'd disappear. 
But that kid that had the fundamentals, man, I mean, he would be able to go out and struggle, but survive the struggles. That's the key. That's like Mike Stanton when you were talking Absolutely. about Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, now Giancarlo Stanton. When I saw him in high school, and I put the grade I put on Mike, Giancarlo Stanton, I put a, uh, I want to say I put a 50 on Mike. Out of 100? No, no, no. Well, that, there's a, no, no not <laughs> yeah. out of 100. There, no, no, no. That would suck. That would be bad scouting. There's a, there's a grading scale for scouts. A couple teams do it backwards. You know, like the Blue Jays, when I started there, their scale was backwards to everybody else's. But generally, when you get to um, a 58, I would say, on most scales, a 58 and above is a first-round draft pick. Okay, And by the way, the grades are for individual skills, too. Your arm strength, hitting ability, your power, your arm, and your running speed. Those are your five tools, right? Okay. So, thinking back to the grades now, Mike Stanton, I mean, I'd have to go back and check, but I think he was a late first-round pick by the Marlins. Mm. Late, like 20-something in the first round, which means probably 20-some teams obviously missed on him. Yours truly here, when I saw him in high school, I saw him against pitchers from local high schools that were throwing 78 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, and I saw Mike Stanton, at the time Mike Stanton, miss 80-mile-an-hour fastballs by a foot. But yet, if you'd work him out with a wood bat, he'd hit it out in their football stadium at Notre Dame Sherman Oaks. So you knew he had raw power, and you know he's a great kid, and you can look at him, he's big and strong. I mean, you love the guy, you love everything about him. But as a scout, you get paid for your opinion. You can't scout the scouts, and you, you're not supposed to guess. You can project, but you gotta go with what you see and what you feel. And even though I knew he had big time power, big time power, he just didn't make a lot of contact. And that bothered me. So what you do in that situation, at least what I did was, I put a first round grade on him, but it was at the end of the first round. Well, a lot of people obviously did that because he went through that first round almost the whole way before somebody popped him. Now, looking back, if, if you had a crystal ball, Mike Stanton should have been the first pick in the draft. <laughs> yeah. Right? But that's what scouting is. And, and I, give, I give scouts credit on that. They saw, we all saw the same thing. Tremendous power. If he ever figures it out, look out. And I'm sure that was somewhere in the reports of most of us. If this guy figures it out and can make more contact, look out. That's what you're seeing now. But as a scout, people will say, well, the scouts missed on him. He should have been the first. Well, that means there was some good scouting going on. Because Mike Stanton, now Giancarlo, he just missed so many pitches by so much in high school that you can't go into your draft room or you go to your scouting director and say, this guy's a first-rounder. I mean, I'm sorry, this guy's a first pick. Because then you take the scouting director see him, the guy strikes out three times against a five-foot-eight right-hander throwing 78 from Burbank High School. The guy's going to go, what? Well, he, can't, he make, doesn't make any contact. But yet you work him out, and he hits it 450 feet out of the football stadium. So there's, a, there's, there's, there's two sides to it. <laughs> like, when, you, when you're talking about all this, I'm just picturing him... Back in Miami, hitting those 505 foot home runs, he was just a—he still is a beast. Yeah. 
You know, and it's just crazy to think that he couldn't touch the ball at one time. You know, so 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 to me, Mike Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton, he, his father, his coaches in, in youth ball, his coaches at Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. I think they're all they should all get credit because you know what I believe. I believe this kid had a good fundamental base. He's a great kid. He works his tail off. Great teammate. All these things that everybody knows, right? And we everybody knew. And now you look at him, and he is, I don't know, one of the two or three most feared hitters in all Major League Baseball. I think he might be the number one most feared hitter. I would I would say, yeah. I would say he's, he's right there. If not, yeah, number one probably. So go back to that. And I don't know the full history of Mike Stan other than when I saw him as a young kid. And I saw him as a freshman or sophomore in high school on. But I got to tell you, I got to believe that his, his coaches and the people around him did such a good job because he really, even when he struggles in the big leagues and he has those 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 two-week periods where he strikes out a bunch and all that, he doesn't he doesn't get down in the dumps. He doesn't he, he, he doesn't continue the struggles. He works out of it. And all of a sudden you can't get the guy out. He's hitting him, you know, like you said, five hundred feet. So I'm glad it worked out for him. I'm glad he's making more contact now than he did. So am I. At least when I saw him. <laughs> so high am school. I, yeah. But again, I kind of got to go back and tell the scouts scouted him correctly. He went late in the first round, which, if you add up his power, and he's not a defensive player. I mean, we have, you downgrade the defense, of course. He's not a great outfielder. You know, he's just not. No one even takes that into consideration with him, though. Right. But you do when you're when you're scouting, you're grading him. Yeah. So what so what you're grading Mike Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton on was you're grading him on the bat and the power. You're banking on that power. So when people say, Well, you guys were light on him, he should have gone in the top, you know, the first I said, Yeah, well, you say that now. It's easy to say now. Yeah. But I have respect for the scouts. Whoever scouted him that year, whoever was out there seeing him and filing reports, they saw the same thing I saw. So what you do is you go, okay, there's some holes there, but he's a big strapping 6'3", 6'4", guy. He's just going to get bigger and stronger, right? And he's missing a lot of pitches right now. That's why you work guys out with wood bats, by the way. That's why you don't just rely on high school games. But when you work them out, you go, oh, my God, if this if this guy ever figures it out, look out. Well, look out. He figured it out. So I think everybody did their job. I think Mike Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton has done his job. I think the scouts did their job. I think it actually worked out the way it should have. And if he'd have made more contact in high school, we wouldn't. it wouldn't even be a, a discussion what we're talking about right now. It would have been like, yeah, the guy was the first pick. Yeah, he was freaky. It was expected. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everything's happening the way it's supposed that's to. That's exactly right. Has has there been, I don't, I don't recall too many, I guess, top prospects who didn't really pan out. And I know it happens more often than not. The only top prospect I can remember that actually was a stud is Bryce Harper. Yeah, that one, you know, that's an interesting one. I don't I don't have a lot of history personally. I never scouted him. I, I saw him play. Yeah. Um, he wasn't in my area, um, but I saw him in some tournaments and things. The best part about Bryce Harper, I'm a big fan. This is a whole different discussion. I'll tell you why. I heard terrible things about Bryce Harper. Terrible things. It's from scouts. 
saying that Bryce Harper is uh, a prima donna. He is, um, you know, guys are going to hate him. He's full of himself. On and on. This was what? When was he on the cover of Sports Illustrated? He was 15 years old, right? It was uh, maybe Freshman like six, seven years ago. Right? Yeah. It wasn't that long ago, yeah. So, he, boy, the scouts and, and, and people that saw him play just hated this guy. I mean, really, I shouldn't say hate, not personally, of course, but they didn't like the way he went about His attitude. It. That's right. Yeah. And, boy, I talked to scouts that would call, they'd say, oh... I went to I went to Vegas and I saw Bryce that kid Harper and oh man he was taunting the other dugout I guess he would do things and I again a lot of this is at first hand but he would do things looking at the other team and taunting the other team and he was just full of himself and all and you know and I think what happened when he first got to the big leagues I I wasn't really rooting for the guy because all I'd heard was negative things about him and you know what. There's a guy that figured it out. He is a tremendous teammate. He plays the game super hard. He's very confident, but I don't find him cocky. I mm -hmm. find him just super confident, and he just want he wants to win super bad. Like when I watch, when I see him interviewed, you can see it in his eyes. Yeah. He wants to win a World Series really. Big. He wants to win every night, and and he really. Whatever was said about Bryce Harper as a kid, and by the way, when you're on cover of Sports Illustrated at 14 or 15, is it really the kid's fault that he was full of himself a little bit? Please. So, that used to be a thing, you know, being on the cover of a magazine. Now it's better be online issue. <laughs> but, but, but Bryce Harper, I'm so impressed with him. He's one of, we were talking earlier, there's only certain players when I walk by a TV screen or I'm walking, you know, by a batting practice or whatever, that I will stop and watch that at bat. And Bryce Harper's one of those guys. He's exactly what we were talking about earlier. And I love his game. Same. And I love his attitude. And he's, you can tell his teammates love him. Except Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah, well, by the way, we had Papelbon. He's an idiot. <laughs> no, I, I Papelbon, ask 10 guys that have been around both those guys who they like more. They're going to like Bryce Harper. Sorry. So anyway, but, <laughs> but, but my thing is, Bryce Harper is everything you want in a player. Again, now, it came later. It wasn't always there, maybe. But he figured it out. And he's just this tremendous talent with who's a great teammate. And by the way, I've never seen Bryce Harper not play hard. Mm -hmm. Every time you watch a Nationals game, and now he's not going to be there next year, no matter how many signs they hold up. He's done in Washington. Is he a free agent now? Oh, yeah. He's oh, done. like UFA? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He's oh, come yeah. to the Yankees. Ah, no, no. Dude, imagine that outfield. Stanton, yeah. Judge, and yeah. fucking Harper. Yeah. Holy shit. And he's available. Well, also $500 million. Fair enough. And they'll give it to him. He's yeah, 26 years old or whatever. Yeah, every team has the money. Uh, but so, you know who's going to play? You can play for the Yankees. Yeah. Thing is, he has to shave that beard. Easily done for $500, $500 million. million, yeah. But I will tell you, Bryce Harper, I have so much respect for his game and the way he goes about it. I mean, of course he's talented as far as the production goes. But the way he goes about it, the way he wants to win, I see in his eyes. I watch his kids at bats. Mm -hmm. Or he's playing defense. He's got that look in his eyes. He just wants to get you out. And he wants his team to win. And he he fights for his teammates too. I've seen him on more than one occasion defend his teammates. I mean, where he'll fight somebody for him. 
I'll tell you what, I would play with Bryce Harper all day long. He is fantastic. That's what I was just going to say. As a, as a teammate, I would love to have him as a teammate. Fantastic. But I would, if I was starting a team, I'd con- I don't know if I would take him first, but I would consider it because, one, he's young, he's great. Yeah. But it's that passion and the heart that passion he has for his teammates that are and a lot of what? players don't have. You know what? They had a rough year this year in uh, Washington. We Everybody knows that. Davey Martinez, his first year as a manager and all. A tough year. I watched an embrace between Bryce Harper and Davey Martinez in the dugout when they thought it was probably going to be his last game in Washington, his last event. He had a rough night. I think he was 0 for 4 his last game there, but who cares? Dave Martinez, the embattled, dare I say the embattled manager of the Washington Nationals, and Bryce Harper, who's on his way out there, they he hugged that kid so hard, and he hugged him back. That's and I tried to decipher it a little bit. I I watched it, and I went, "Wow, they've been killing Dave Martinez all year as a manager, killing him." Harper is beloved there, and they don't want to lose him. Mm-hmm. One guy's get you know they're talking about fire, and the other guy's going to leave as a free agent. And these guys hugged each other, and I went, "Wow, there's a lot of respect there, both ways," and that, it meant something to me as somebody who's been around teams my whole life. It just meant something to me. And and I just, all the negative I've heard about Bryce Harper over the years, I wanted to make my own decision about him. And he is everything you would want as a teammate, as a player, as someone in your community, not just on the field. I, I know what this guy does in the community there in D.C. and what he does probably in his hometown in Vegas. Uh, he's a tremendous, tremendous human being and baseball player. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, I just think the sky's the limit for this guy. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He stays healthy. He's a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And he's doing it the right way. He's doing it the right way. Big Bryce Harper. All right. That's it. Another one down. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Project Anchor underscore. You got me on Instagram at Project Anchor Pod. And brand new Facebook, Project Anchor. Shoot me a DM, let me know what you thought. Give me your two cents.